You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 89th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 420th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, August 16th, 2018. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Martin takes the shot. Oh, who the national championship? This week, students began arriving back on campus in Bloomington, bringing with them massive amounts of traffic, plenty of teary-eyed moms holding on to their precious freshmen for just a few extra seconds, and, of course, the latest in mini-fridge technology. The students' arrival also signaled the return of what should be one of Indiana's greatest advantages in its quest to reclaim elite program status, the raucous student support inside of Simon Scott Assembly Hall. Much has been made of the lackluster student attendance over the last two seasons as Indiana has battled just to maintain mediocrity under two different coaches. But in Archie Miller's second season, with Jawan Morgan back, Romeo Langford in tow, and the talent upgraded across the roster, the time is now for the students to fully embrace this basketball program once again. It begins at Hoosier Hysteria, where hopefully the current players and, most importantly, prospective future ones, will be blown away by the energy and excitement in the building. And it needs to carry over into the games with insane home crowds led by the kind of exuberance that only fully engaged student sections can provide, resulting in a season in which opponents are lucky to escape Bloomington with their hearing, never mind actually getting a win. When Indiana basketball is firing on all cylinders, it is buoyed by one of the greatest home court advantages in all of college basketball. And now it's time to return things back to the standard we saw as recently as 2016. No losses at home. The new coach and his players seem more ready to do their part this season. Hopefully the students will be ready to do theirs. Okay, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show to my left. He is the Frank Reich of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati. He's the president emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and he is officially endorsed by Kent Sterling as being a highly ranked bracketologist. You can watch you guys on TV if you want, but Andy, consistently, right? You consistently rank higher than those yahoos. Right, Andy? Higher than those yahoos, correct? He is Andy <laughs> Bottoms. Andy, what is your bottoms line from the past week in Indiana basketball? Well, you know, we've kind of followed the schedule and some of those announcements over the course of the uh, the offseason. And it seems like, save maybe for that Jacksonville game that some people are reporting is out there and, and others haven't uh, haven't confirmed yet. Uh, it looks like all the dates for the, the non-conference schedule are there. And within the next few days, I think it's Tuesday, uh, the Big Ten is going to have their announcement of what that schedule looks like. So we'll see what kind of fun, uh, you know, Friday, Sunday, uh, you know, Saturday, Monday turnarounds. We'll get to uh, we'll get to see this year, but um, you know, 
it's just, you know, another thing you can kind of check off your offseason list to know that the season is getting closer. And so uh, exciting to see the, the schedule pretty much finalized. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. So I'll, uh, you know, withhold some of those those kinds of thoughts. But, uh, you know, just another another you know, milestone hit along the way of the offseason and, uh, you know, gives us some opponents to actually look into for the for the ones that we don't know a whole lot about. And uh, and we'll go from there. But uh, exciting to see that there and uh, would assume that IU will release the full schedule here pretty quickly uh, at this point, maybe in conjunction with when the Big Ten one comes out. And to my right, he is a columnist for the Big Lead, a co-host for The Hangover, and oh no, someone just tweeted something positive about Dean Spanos. All right, I gotta get out of here, folks. Thank you. So, no Ryan tonight. Do we uh, Do we have anybody who might be willing to cover for him? The Italians gotta stick together. All right, we do. He was a 10-year high school head coach in Indiana who is currently an assistant coach at Western High School. He is the host of Sports Talk with Tonsoni. He is the founder of the Delphi Bracketology Club, and he is, shall we say, a fan of Indiana's head coach. I have a mad crush on Archie Miller. and Coach, it's Tonsoni time. What's on your mind? <laughs> R-E-S-P-E-C-T. <laughs> Find out what it means to me. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. The queen herself would want Indiana basketball to get back to the respect that it had in its heyday. And the start of the school year is just one step closer. It seems like it's taken forever. And it's so long that I might even like Hoosier hysteria by the time it actually comes around. Uh, it's an exciting time in Bloomington. Uh, the other night I drank milk out of a pint glass um, from Nick's English hut because my pizza X glasses and Kilroy's glasses were all in the, the dishwasher and what an exciting time. I don't have a son at IU for the first time in four years. So I'm really looking forward to uh, discussing this schedule and discussing some of the rankings. I think we're starting to get to some information that we can really taste uh, to get us closer uh, to that first practice. And I mean, real practice. You're going to adopt Robert Finnessy as your, uh, as your de facto son at, uh, at, at IU now, since you don't have one. It might have to. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> all right. Well, here's what we are going to talk about this week. Uh, as Andy said, we now know who all of Indiana's non-conference opponents are and the dates for those non-conference opponents. So what do we think of the non-conference schedule? We'll analyze that. Several preseason predict predictions are starting to uh, trickle out. So we respond to where the so-called experts are rating Indiana as a team and its top players. And included in that discussion will be this question. Who will be the more valuable Hoosier this season? Romeo or Juwan. We'll talk about that. And we will answer your questions as well. All of that coming here on this edition of Assembly Call Radio. Before we get to this week's top story and talk about the schedule, I have a quick reminder for you about a great way to shop online for tickets. Sorry to all those fans out there listening. Coach, give me a break. It won't take that long. Here's the reminder. Commit this URL to memory, iutickets.shop. It will take you right to SeatGeek, where you can immediately find the best deals on IU basketball tickets, as well as IU football tickets, concert tickets, and other live events. And as a bonus, use the promo code ASSEMBLY to get $20 back after your first purchase. And when you use that URL, iutickets.shop, to buy tickets, we get paid a commission for referring you. And we've actually had a few of those commissions come through this week as people have been buying IU football tickets. And these commissions really do add up and have a big impact on helping us cover the cost of running the show, like website hosting, podcasting equipment, and paying for Coach Tonsoni's trips to see Demisi Anderson's barber. I'd pick Demisi because hair goals. Once again, the URL is iutickets.shop. Thank you. 
You are listening to Assembly Call Radio. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And Andy, you know, you alluded to the schedule. Uh, I, I want to get your guys' thoughts on it. Um, and I want to focus on your opinions, number one, because I spent a lot of time on podcast on the brink this week talking about it. I've already talked about it on a couple of Banner Morning episodes. So I think, you know, most people who listen to this are probably well aware of my thoughts on the schedule. But also what will be interesting to 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 get your guys' perspective is you, you too, uh, you know, Andy individually and Coach Tonsoni with the Delphi Bracketology Club, two of the top 10 ranked bracketologists in the world, according to Bracket Matrix. And we know that the non-conference schedule, who you schedule, you know, the ability to get wins, that's huge come NCAA tournament time. So Andy, let's start with you, just your thoughts on the non-conference schedule from a fan perspective, and then also how you think it shapes up from a bracketology perspective. I mean, from a fan perspective, I look at it and you get yourself, if you really just kind of focus on November, because really after the Duke game, there's a gap there that I think will be filled in by those couple early season Big Ten games. But if you if you look at the way that it starts, Chicago State, Montana State should be able to pick up a couple wins. Uh, you know, then you got Marquette. If you can beat Marquette uh, at Arkansas, feels winnable based on the turnover they've had. You come back home, you've got UT Arlington and UC Davis. If you're able to win those, you could be 6-0 and going into Duke and have some pretty good momentum. Uh, you know, And then the, the December non-conference games, you've got Louisville and Butler you know, a week apart. Um, and then you know a couple more winnable games before you get back into Big Ten play, presumably. So um, I think it sets up relatively well to be able to build some confidence heading into some of those, uh, you know, those, those peak games, the, uh, the really tough games, uh, you know, come a little bit later in the non-conference really with the exception of that Marquette game which is pretty early as part of the Gavit games um, it does it does set up a little bit to let the guys work some things out before they really get into the meat of the schedule starting with the Duke game two Big Ten games Louisville Butler as a you know five game stretch there which is going to be pretty tough and then uh, potentially another you know little breather around the holidays before the you know the other 18 games of the Big Ten schedule come up so from that standpoint I think it's good and, and will provide some uh, opportunities to to ease people in a little bit. Um, from a bracketology perspective, uh, when you look at it, at least if you use, like I know you've been citing a lot of the Bart Torvik stuff, and I think probably no matter what you'll look at in the preseason, it'll look this way. There's like a huge chasm between the top games if you kind of cut it off at UC Davis and maybe maybe at Arkansas, just because I think you're you know, they, I would expect them to be down, but the SEC's done a really good job of non conference scheduling as a whole lately. And that's kind of, you know, held them up almost no matter what. Then you've just got a huge gap. Like there's no teams in the, you know, between 88 and 273, if I'm reading right what you've got in the, in the notes here. So that's just a yeah. huge gap. And like those are some of the teams that can kind of be your bread and butter for getting a good, or, be winnable games that are going to help your strength the schedule. So I'm a little bit worried from that perspective that there's too many teams at the low end with Chicago State, uh, Central Arkansas, UT Arlington is going to take a huge step back. They fired their coach for reasons nobody really understood. They had a lot of roster turnover. Um, Montana State, I don't think anybody expects to be particularly good. So you're going to have a handful of games on there. Hopefully those teams don't all fall outside of the top 300, but you've just not a lot in the middle. You've either got these really tough games uh, against teams everybody knows or, you know, it, it plus UC Davis. And then you kind of go and you you drop way down to the, the caliber of opponent for the rest of them. Coach, how do you view the schedule, the non-conference portion of it? You, you know, I think the top is really intriguing. Uh, the, the top games that we Marquette, Arkansas, Duke, Louisville, Butler. I, 
with the Big Ten games being stuck in there, there's going to be some so- solid opponents early before Christmas time. And the tough thing is you do need, a, I think, in a program, you do need some games that you can get on film and try some different things and make some decisions early. And as we saw last year, there was a hungry team that was a little bit low uh, in the rankings, came up and, and bit us in Indiana State. But, yeah, I I agree with Andy from the bracketology standpoint that we need some of those teams that right now look to be on the lower end uh, to to be a little bit better. UT Arlington has had a good run. Uh, that's the next thing that I would do is I would look at some of these teams and their conferences and where they're going to be slated in their conferences to, to make a final determination. I, I would like to see a little more meat in the 100 to 200 range, to, to be honest. But again, the, the top, we have some opportunities. A, a road win at Arkansas will count. Uh, the Butler neutral will help as well if you can get that. And then, you know, obviously if, if, if and when we beat Duke at Duke, that's going to be something that's going to be a huge feather in Indiana's camp. But I think this plays out to be a, an okay um, schedule, non-conference schedule. Hey, we had someone ask in the chat, you know, one of the new things that the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee was looking at was the tiers. Um, that is determined at the end of the season, once all the games are in, not at the time that you play somebody, right? What tier a, a game qualifies for? Yep, it's it's no different than what the RPI would be. It's not what they were when you played them. It's what they are uh, at the, when it's all said and done. And that's where, for example, the Arkansas game is interesting because a Tier 1 game on the road is anyone ranked 1 through 75. And right now in the preseason, they're kind of in the mid-80s. But if they can sneak into the top 75, and that's a game Indiana can win, that ends up being a Tier 1 victory for Indiana. You know, And that's one thing You know, when you look at, at how everything shakes out with what they have in the non-conference and then plus what they're going to have in the Big Ten, there will be, you know, with 20 Big Ten games this year, there will be plenty of opportunities to get the kind of victories that they need. So uh, let me ask you if this is a fair assessment, Andy. Um, you know, because I think after the non-conference schedules that we saw with Tom Crane, everybody was quite underwhelmed with those. And kind of, the, you know, the promise of when Archie came is that the non-conference schedules would get better. I feel like this non-conference schedule, it's not like, you know, the perfect non-conference schedule where you look at it and it's just like everything falls into place and this is magnificent, but it's a step in the right direction. You know, like it feels a little bit better with still some room for improvement. Is that kind of fair to say as you compare this to what we've seen in years past yeah i think it's i think it's better um i think it it is hard to predict where some of these teams are going to finish and i think in some ways you just want to stay away from certain leagues i guess um and so that's kind of where you know central arkansas is in the southland uh that jacksonville game which hasn't been confirmed yet they're in the atlantic sun so you know typically one of the you know kind of lowest few uh chicago state is just not a good basketball team um by any means uh you know montana state the big sky is usually middle of the road so that one's not as bad it's more of there's kind of leagues that aren't going to prop you up and in the way we talked about arkansas like the way that the sec has started to schedule they're going to prop them up to be probably better than what they maybe maybe from a, a metric standpoint from an rpi standpoint better than what they really are these other leagues for the most part are not going to do that um, with these teams, but I still agree with you. I mean, I, there are a lot of good opportunities. I think it just puts a lot of pressure um, on them to do well uh, in those opportunities, but it's not like you can just go tap any school you want on the shoulder and say, Hey, let's go play a game and, and do it. So you've got a, there's a reality to who you can what? actually schedule in there as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, surprising. <laughs> Coach, your final thoughts on the schedule. Yeah, and it depends on who's ranking them and, and what the predictions are as well. You know, looking at Central Arkansas, they were 213 in Ken Palm, uh, and, and then the ranking has them at 311 right now. So the person ranking them thinks they're going to be a little worse than what they were last year. Uh, the same happens with the UT Arlington. Uh, Ken Palm was 128 last year, UC Davis 129, and, and the rankings that, that we have available to us right now, UT Arlington goes worse and UC Davis goes better so that's that prediction model and as we've seen inside even the big 10 some teams we thought were going to be well ended up at the bottom half and vice versa so I, I think that this is a better schedule than what was in the past and I think it's also setting up some some bigger games that have been mentioned earlier that take some time to schedule maybe a return with Kentucky uh interesting with Arizona and so until you get those commitments for those home and away type things down the line you, you sometimes have to fill in with the best teams available. Yep. All righty. Coming up, we are starting to see some preseason conference and national player rankings trickle out. We analyze a few of those and discuss whether we agree or disagree with where they have IU and IU's best players rated. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. You are listening to The Assembly Call. If you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of Assembly Call Radio or one of our post-game shows, there are two great ways to catch up. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, including Spotify now. Just search for Assembly Call. Or you can watch the video replays of all of our shows on YouTube. And by the way, the YouTube broadcasts feature the between-segment banner that doesn't make it into the radio or podcast edit of the show. And last week, that included Ryan talking smack about Andy behind his back, explaining why it's such a relief when Andy has to take a week off from the show. He pretty much dominates the room and nobody gets any other say except for him. Oh, that's hurtful. To subscribe to our YouTube channel, go to youtube.com slash assembly call. It's ironic coming from Ryan, isn't it? Uh, I'm Jared Morris here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni and Andy Bottoms. Um, guys, there was an article that came up on ESPN. It's called Five Burning Questions, Players to Watch for the Big Ten in 2018-19 uh, by Dan Murphy. A couple interesting notes uh, that I want to get to there. He had his five players to watch. Number one on that list was Romeo Langford. I think we would all agree that Romeo Langford is one of the, the most intriguing players to watch in the Big Ten. But what I found most interesting were his early Big Ten power rankings. Uh, in order, Michigan State, Michigan, Maryland, Purdue, Nebraska, Wisconsin, and then Indiana, followed by Ohio State, Penn State, Minnesota, Iowa, Northwestern, Illinois, and Rutgers. A couple things jumped out at me here, uh, Andy. Uh, number one, Indiana being too low. Number two, Wisconsin being too low. And it feels like Maryland is awfully high. Uh, but I guess they're putting a lot of stock in that freshman class that they have. What are your initial reactions to those Big Ten power rankings? And is that a fair assessment of where Indiana falls? Or, or do you think they're a little low? Uh, I mean, I guess I would say they're a little low, although I'd be curious to know in the opinion of the of the writer how much separation there really is from, you know, like two through eight, I would say. To me, that's where that you start to get a drop off. You know, Penn State lost uh, lost a decent amount. I think they take it a little bit of a step back. Um, so kind of that cutoff after Ohio State, the way that he has it to me is where there's some some drop off. Uh, I would probably I'm OK with, you know, Michigan State, I think just based on talent back that make they make sense as the the top pick. Michigan, I think they're getting a lot of credit for, you know, Beeline pretty much always is going to put a good team on the floor. That's reasonable. The Maryland one, 
uh, I I am skeptical of if for no other reason than there have certainly been times in the past couple of years that they've had a lot of talent and that hasn't really uh, materialized into a into a high finish in the league. Top notch coaching. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I, I, Nebraska is one that I still am a little bit uh, unsure of. They they you know exceeded expectations last year, but really you know ended up getting left out of the NCAA tournament because they hadn't beaten that many good teams. So they've still got to prove that they can do that this year. I'm, I'm a little bit less sold on them than some other people would be, I, I would imagine, but I think it's a pretty, it's a, it's a pretty big clump of teams there, you know, probably from two to eight that um, you could take your pick of and, and be relatively close. Yeah. Like I don't necessarily have a big problem with Purdue at four, even though I know they have a lot of question marks, but I think, you know, they've earned a little bit of, of the benefit of the doubt with their recent play. Same thing with Michigan. I think you have a coach like Beeline do what they've done. You kind of get the benefit of the doubt, but it does feel to me like Indiana and Wisconsin should be flipped with Maryland and Nebraska. Um, but as you said, it's, it's a little bit kind of splitting hairs and how much separation is there really uh, coach. When you look at those power rankings, does that kind of jibe with where you see Indiana in the pecking order right now or do you think indiana is a little higher i think indiana has to be a, a little bit higher even with my bias uh i think they have a top returner in morgan coming back and a and a great player coming in in romeo and if you look at that that chunk that andy was talking about uh what are the returning players coming back and and what's the freshman class and, and a lot of these schools maryland and these guys and purdue and Indiana has some good freshmen coming in, but I think Indiana has, with Morgan coming back, uh, someone um, that, that stands out and thus would move Indiana a little bit higher. I think Ethan Happ, the same way for Wisconsin, and is it the Davidson kid, the guard. I think Wisconsin has some good talent coming back, and that doesn't mean that they'll end up uh, in second, third, or fourth, but I just think like those teams' chances better because of the returning players along with the expectations of the freshmen where Maryland, Purdue lost some players, really talented players and have players to come in and replace and really need the freshmen. Uh, so I think I would move Wisconsin and Indiana up to the top four and I would drop Maryland, Purdue uh, a little bit lower. I'd drop Michigan maybe a little bit lower too. And then you can just decide two through four or five there. But, it, but I, I think Morgan is something that should people should respect Indiana with, with what he brings, the value he brings. Andy, as you look at the bottom of the Big Ten, what is the team down there that you think could surprise and jump up and finish in the top half of the conference? Uh, I don't know if they could finish in the top half of the conference, but Iowa is always intriguing because it seems like they have a lot of good offensive pieces. They just uh, do not play defense in any way, shape, or form. Um so if potentially they could get that together, I mean, they're one, they're picked in the bottom four. Um, but I think they would be interesting. They have you know, Cook Minis back, right? Uh, yeah, he's. they have almost everybody back, I think. Like Ellenson and maybe one other person are gone, but they, they have almost everybody back. So Yeah, I think in the helps. ESPN but, preseason BPI, they were like top 20 or they were really high because well, of all that experience. Yeah, back. yeah, which is insane to me, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and yeah, so you so there would be one um, Minnesota. They've been kind of Jekyll and Hyde over the last couple of years. So you know maybe they they get some things together. Uh, I, I I just assume that Nate Mason Nate Mason is still there, even though I know he isn't. I just assume that he is because I thought he's graduated. For the <laughs> believe last five. it, believe it when we see it. Yeah. Who uh, coach quickly? We got about twenty seconds to this segment. Who who do you see from the bottom of the conference that could jump up and surprise? 
can can some of the returning players handle uh, being the primary scorer? Joel mentions this about uh, Edwards at Purdue. He was good when he had other people around him. He'll still be good, but can he handle the pressure? Uh, you look at Matthews at Michigan the same way without Wagner and some of those. That can make a difference in the rankings. And that's the thing is we know that Jawan Morgan can handle that pressure because he was already in that situation last year. All right, coming up, those of you listening on the radio Friday night may be switching over to high school football for everyone else. We're going to discuss where Romeo and Jawan are falling in the pecking order of top players nationally. That's next on the Assembly Call. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. We now have almost 6,000 IU fans from around the globe who subscribe to our free email newsletter. There's a high-level operation going on out there. You get our weekly six-banner Sunday news roundups as well as our post-game analysis emails once the season begins. It is all free, and it will make you a smarter and more well-informed IU basketball fan. And joining is easy. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. Again, go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 and join our free email newsletter today. Make no excuses. I am Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and the coach Brian Tonsoni. Uh, you know, something else that we're starting to see, guys, is a lot of rankings of the top players in college basketball. You know, some, you know, you kind of take one glance at them and you realize, you know, some are more worth uh, respecting and taking seriously than others. Uh, one that I thought was pretty good was released by the guys at Three Man Weave, um, and they put out their top 100 players for 2018-19. It's always interesting to look at the parameters for these, you know, because you could do it just based on who has more talent, who are the best NBA prospects. But their parameters were very clear. They tried to guess who would be the best players in college in 2018-19. So no NBA implications. No, he'll be amazing in two years. Just one season only. Uh, I will offer the caveat that at least one of them is from Wisconsin. So I'm not going to say that there's any bias in the rankings, but just keep that in mind as we tell you who uh, ends up at the top of the list. Ryan will be glad that he's not on the show for that. Um, But here's what I want to start with. Juwan was rated number 20. Romeo was rated number 33. Uh, Andy, your first impression, and you know, kind of based on what you know of those guys and, and, and your knowledge of the lay of the land in college basketball, do you think that's fair for those guys? Too low, too high? How does that strike you? You know, it's always, it's always funny when these come out. I've never want, I mean, as much as people would probably say, sometimes sitting down to do bracketology would be an exercise in futility. I have never once sat down and tried to rank players in this way. So I'm not even sure how I would approach it. Um, I mean, gut feel, that doesn't feel terrible to me. I might say Romeo a little bit low as a potential one and done guy coming in. Um, But it doesn't necessarily strike me as egregious because I think when anytime you get into this, you have a bunch of guys that are pretty tightly bunched together and the difference between 33 and 23 is, is pretty negligible, I would say in, in most cases. Um, so I didn't necessarily have any, have any issue with it. I do listen to the three man weave podcast and I don't think any of them is actually a Wisconsin fan. A couple of them are actually like Missouri fans. So while they live around the Chicago oh, really? area, I okay. believe, uh, I don't believe there's any bias that would have gone into it. I think one of them has some IU ties, although I'm not sure exactly what they are. So, oh, well, there we go. Okay. Breaking news about the three-man weave guys. Uh, yeah, and, this is, I don't know what that says about me, <laughs> that I'm able to speak 
speak on roughly any college basketball podcast, but that's just where we are right now. Well, and I, and I should say they had listed number one Carson Edwards, number one player in all of college basketball. Number two was Ethan Happ. Never Ethan Happ. Well, it, it was in this case, Ryan. So those were one and two. Um, you know, and I think here's the thing to me: it it is kind of splitting hairs. It's you know, kind of like you were talking about with those Big Ten power rankings a little bit, but. I think just the fact that that Juwan and Romeo are there is good because there are some lists I've seen where Juwan isn't even in there in the top fifty, which you know is just I think we all would agree is pretty ludicrous. Um, so I think you know them being there because if you're a top twenty player, you know you're you're basically an honorable mention All American, you know, and so that that seems like a pretty good spot for Juwan to kind of start with as a senior, given what we saw from him as a junior. Um, Coach, a, a, as you look at that, do those rankings seem fair to you? Uh, I think I think they are. I, I think you really you can't. It's hard to predict Romeo. We know he's going to be good, but just how good is he going to be? The college game is always different than the high school game. It's a lot different. Uh, we do expect him to have a little bit of ups and downs, uh, just like all of the top players have some ups and downs. So to have him in the top, uh, you know, 35, 40, I think is is correct. I'd like to see him in comparison with the other freshmen around the um, the country. I think it speaks volumes. I think 20 is great for, for Jawan from where he's come and his injuries to playing last year where he was the guy and everyone was guarding him. And I think that's some mad respect for his game. And yet it gives him room and both and gives Romeo some room to have a little chip on their shoulder as well if they think that they were a little bit too low. And as a coach, you always love when those outside sources can help motivate uh, your players. But I think Juwan and, and Romeo are self-motivated anyway. But that could be a little bit of, uh, hey, you think I'm 33rd. I'm going to show you, uh, and especially when Carson uh, comes at the town. So, yeah. um, you know, and it's, it's all relative, guys, because, you know, Carson Edwards is a fantastic basketball player, but you had to double team the post. And if you didn't double team the post, you had to lock down on three or four shooters, which allowed driving lanes. And he was really great at getting to the basket. He's going to have to be that good in order to play against the defenses set for him. And that's not taking anything away from the young man, but, and that's where Jawan's going to be even better this year, because now you got to go guard a, a Romeo and some of the other guys are going to be a little bit better than the guys we lost. No, no respect. We're glad they played for us, but uh, the freshmen, I think, are going to be an upgrade, and our freshmen last year are going to be upgraded. So, yeah, it, you know, that's what makes it difficult to rank because uh, you got to look at the whole package. Yeah, they had on this list the only two players from the Big Ten ranked higher than Juwan were Carson Edwards and Ethan Happ, uh, and then the other players that were ranked higher than Romeo, Cassius Winston, Charles Matthews, James Palmer, uh, and Anthony Cowan. So, you know, kind of shows you they have Juwan as a top three player in the Big Ten. Romeo, you know, one of the top seven or eight players in the Big Ten. Um, You know, I thought the other thing that was kind of interesting as you start looking through these lists, Andy, is you kind of start to notice, A, you know, obviously guys from the Big Ten, but then B, you know, other players that Indiana is going to be playing. You know, like Marcus Howard from Marquette is number 14. They're going to be coming in uh, for the Gavit games. Obviously, all the players from the from the Big Ten. Daniel Gafford of Arkansas uh, was number 26th. He is a, 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 you know, a top flight NBA prospect. So we'll get to see some of those guys in the non-conference. And then you look at some near misses on the recruiting trail. Guys like Tremont Waters, who is ranked number nine on this list. 
you know, talk about kind of the void at point guard and him. McKinley Wright was a guy that Archie had a commitment uh, from at Dayton. He's number 22, had a really good freshman season at Colorado. So that's always one of the most interesting things to me. And then I thought it was interesting, bunched up there in the 30s with Romeo. You had Chris Wilkes at number 32, Romeo at number 33, and Kyle Guy at number 34. So a trio of, uh, of strong guys from the Hoosier State all right there. Um, any final thoughts, Andy, just uh, kind of on this list, or did any, any other guys jump out at you from the Big Ten or from a national perspective? Well, it was interesting when you look kind of nationally, Blue Ribbon came out yesterday and started taking pre-orders for their uh, basketball yearbook, which I jumped on immediately as as usual. But um, of their All-Americans on the front cover, four of the five were in the, the top, might have even been the top four on this list. And those were the, the two big 10 guys. You talked about Luke May and RJ Barrett. Um, they're pretty different on, on the fifth. Uh, but you know, some of the, the top parts of those lists are kind of easy. I think in general, as you look down the, this list, the freshmen weren't particularly high. So maybe that explains uh, a little bit of where Romeo is. And I think that's a, a lot of what coach said is you, you have an idea of what he's going to be, but how he's really going to fit in and, and how quickly he'll adapt uh, are unknowns. And it, it feels like as you look through this list, these guys kind of took that into account and and there aren't a lot of freshmen very high uh, on these lists at all. Maybe only, you know, one or two in the top 30 as I kind of scan yeah. down, uh, scan down the list. And I guess that's kind of the way that, you know, as I sit and try to think about how I might do this, that's probably m- more in line with an approach like I would take where, you know, you kind of want to see it at first, but um, I'm also a guy who doesn't, follow and watch tons of stuff about recruiting so uh the other guys are guys that i know Uh, but i think what coach said is is important as well as you look at some of these guys and the situations they're going to be in and and how does that really impact things um for a guy like carson edwards uh i think the charles matthews thing is a little bit interesting as there's you know the turnover they had there james palmer we talked about nebraska maybe being a little bit overrated he's right there in that you know kind of top 25 mix anthony cowan with Maryland up there as well. And then Gafford, when you, when you talk about Arkansas, I mean, he's going to be surrounded by almost a completely different, uh, you know, cast of characters. And he's a guy that's going to be reliant on them getting him the ball as a, as a big guy. So, um, you know, context matters and, and the surrounding talent matters uh, a lot in these. And I think especially when you're not looking at it as an exercise of who's going to project where in the NBA, which is a talent argument versus how are these guys going to play in the construct of their teams? And I think that's what makes it, uh, different, but I agree. I think they did a pretty good job of trying to take some of those factors into account above and beyond just this guy's extremely athletic and extremely talented because uh, I would say most of these guys would fit into those categories for sure. Can we just get the season started already? It's fair. It's a, it's a good question. Um, okay, so I want to ask you guys a question then about Juwan and Romeo. Uh, first, you're listening to Assembly Call Radio. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and the coach Brian Tonsoni. So I posed this question in our assembly call community, and I was a little bit surprised by the results, but the question was basically, who do you think will be the more important player for Indiana this season? You know, the, the, the better, more productive player for Indiana this season, Romeo or Juwan? And I thought it was going to be a much more split vote, and it was almost all for Juwan. Almost all of the votes were for Juwan, with a lot of people citing, you know, the leadership factor that Juwan brings and the and 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 the experience that Juwan brings. Um, Coach, as you look at those two guys in terms of who's going to be more important for Indiana this year, where do you side? I mean, obviously they're both going to be extremely important, but do you give the edge to either one of those guys? 
You know, th that that's a difficult question because the idea of important might change um, depending on who's asking that question. I voted for Romeo on, on your on on your list. It was a very difficult decision, but the the reason that again, I, and maybe most is not a fair question, but Romeo's going to score and Romeo's going to stretch the floor. And, and we know what Jawan was without a guy like Romeo and he was pretty good. I think you're going to see Jawan be outstanding. So he might be more important because he's going to score more points and be because you have to guard Romeo and you have to guard Smith and some of the other players that are coming in a little bit differently than Newkirk and, and some of the guys that, that we had on the floor for a lot of minutes last year. And so importance, is it points? Is it rebounds? Is it leadership? Jawan, I think fits all those. And I agree with everyone who picked Jawan because leadership is important in keeping the team together and teaching the rookies. So I a hundred percent buy into that, but having a guy like Romeo lifts everyone. And if he were to be injured or not be able to play, I think that changes things a lot more um, than the other way around. We don't we don't speak about such things. We don't we don't speak about those hypotheticals. That's my bad. <laughs> uh, people already saw the the photo circulating of him wearing a cast, and everybody freaked out. So we don't need to uh, we don't need to imagine that. Uh, Andy, where do you side on that uh, on that off season debate raging I, I here in August? Yeah, I'm one. I'm one that probably gets overly wrapped up in the semantics of a question like that. The whole importance versus best versus uh, versus whatever. I mean, I think to a certain extent it remains to be seen. Um, but I think if Romeo is as productive as everybody thinks he'll be, I guess he's the most important because otherwise you've got a team that looks better but similar to what you had last year when it was hard for them to to do things I, all everybody talked about when he signed was there's a shooter there's a guy who can create his own shot on the outside uh which is an element that was sorely lacking from last year's team so i think no matter what even if he's not there juan gets better and juan was fantastic last year but if we really want to like hone in on the word importance i think the what what romeo's presence opens up for other players would make me side with him for that reason. But, but again, I'll, I'll preface that with, I'm one who a question like that will really kind of dig into every little word and the way that it's asked to try to, to try to analyze it that way. So, um, you know, if I think about all around best, who will be the most productive, I still might say Juwan when you look at all around and the different things like that. But I think if you talk importance, I would probably slide more to Romeo. This was the most ridiculous ordeal of my life. All right, so Ryan, not not a fan of talking about that. Um, if you thought that that was a worthwhile question, send us a tweet at Assembly Call. Let let us know kind of where you side uh, on that question, guys. Any final thoughts on this topic, or should we hop in and start answering some questions? The best response would have been both. I, I think we're very <laughs> fortunate to have two of those types of players playing for Indiana this year, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. That's you're right. You are right. It's no fun to answer that way. It's better to pick a side. But ultimately, ultimately, that is the correct answer. So we will uh, we will give you that. All right. Coming up here in our final segment, we are going to answer more of your questions. We will talk about that cast that Romeo was wearing in that picture, what that meant, uh, and a bunch of other good questions, too. Coming here in the final segment of the Assembly Call. Stick with us. Thank you. 
You are listening to The Assembly Call. We are wrapping up another week of Talking IU Basketball. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and the coach Brian Tonsoni. And we've got a lot of time here for our fourth segment to dive into your questions. So thank you to everybody who sent those in. Uh, so let's start with this. So Val asked us on Twitter, uh, Zach Osterman tweeted that Romeo Langford's hand was in a brace or cast earlier this week. Any updates? So, yes, some of you may have seen uh, this picture where Romeo was wearing a cast. Um, and Jeff Rabjohns recently or originally uh, reported this in the Peaks Premium Forum, but he talked about it today on Matt Dennison's show. So I feel um, okay talking about this now. But it, it was basically uh, like this was something they had planned to do because Romeo hurt his wrist last season um, in a game. And it kind of bothered him, but he kept playing through it and has obviously been through all the offseason workouts. And it's almost one of those things where you know, he's so <laughs> such a basketball junkie and they can't get him to stop practicing that they had to put a cast on it to kind of make him rest. So what's not something serious enough that he needed surgery, again, this is all according to Jeff Rabjohns, that he needed surgery, but they wanted to rest it. And so they put a cast on it just to make sure that he wasn't going out and playing, but nothing really to be concerned about. Everything should be fine. Um, so that's the update there. Um, and, you know, credit to Jeff Rabjohns for reporting that. Um, so let's hop in here. Here's our question from Alex uh, France. So the 2020 in-state class has a multitude of players above the top 100, but only Trey Galloway breaks that number according to 24-7. IU fans have high expectations for the program, and many also demand in-state kids. Can you discuss this dispute and your thoughts on the issue? So yeah, the 2020 class, I mean, in terms of guys from Indiana, you know, you've got Trey Galloway, you've got Anthony Leal, um, a few other guys. You know, Galloway has had been up higher in in, in the top 100. He's fallen a little bit. Um, so he and Leo are kind of hovering around the 100 mark right now. Um, and while they have offers from other Big Ten schools, Trey's been offered by Michigan State. Anthony Leo, I think, has been offered by Iowa and maybe a couple of others. Indiana has yet to offer those guys. And it will be interesting to see you know, what Indiana ends up doing. You know, they're targeting some guys that are higher up on the list. They've got offers out to several guys in the 30 and in the 40 range. So, you know, coach, as you look at that, would you prefer to see them target, especially a guy, you know, or at least offer a scholarship to a guy like Leal, who's right in their backyard and, and Galloway, who obviously, you know, likes Indiana. I don't know if it, if it was like his dream to play at Indiana or anything, but I mean, he likes and respects the program. Are these the kind of guys that you want to see Archie getting? Or if he can get, you know, guys that are in the 30 and 40s, do you overlook the Galloways and Leals in state and go for the higher profile guys? What do you think? Uh, I think that Archie should go for the guys that he feels will best fit the program. And I think that's going to be top 100 guys. And, and if there's Indiana guys in that top 50, top 100, then by all means, that should probably be the focus first. That That's that inside out. It's not inside only. And, and so I it's would hate inside to see out. Focus, yeah, I would hate to see him focus on some kids that – were not as good as others simply because of where they reside and play high school. That being said, I'm interested in seeing down the road, his philosophy. I know he likes to play a shorter rotation and do you recruit to the full 13 or do you recruit to 11 and your 12 and 13th are red shirts like Villanova or people that uh, may not be as highly recruited, but you feel like in year two or three and of development can really provide something kind of like a McRoberts, um, maybe even a little better than McRoberts coming out of high school, but a kid who could go play at Vermont. Is that who you're targeting for 12 and 13 once, once he gets some roster stability uh, after year three or four? 
that that'll be interesting to see if he uh, how he goes right now. I think he's trying to get as much talent in as possible and and see what's uh, what's going on. So I, I think inside out is good, and sometimes you might have to start outside if the talent is a little better. Andy, what do you think on that? Yeah, I I would largely agree with with Coach there. I just don't. I, you know, we've had this debate in the past where you know, if this team is out winning big 10 championships on a regular basis um, and, and performing the way in the NCAA tournament that people want, you know, my enjoyment of that will not be diminished by somebody saying, Oh, this kid didn't come from Indiana. I, I think ultimately it's about getting the right talent level and about winning games. And I think you got to trust that he's doing that. And I'd also say it's not like he's ignoring those kids either. They haven't offered him a scholarship, but they've certainly been present at yeah. uh, at games of theirs based on what you see. And so I think they're doing the right things in terms of staying connected with those guys, knowing that they may eventually offer them something, but they might not be their first choice. And that's the reality of recruiting and, and life and things like that. And so I think to go and fill up a roster with Indiana guys for the sake of getting Indiana guys, and then and then you don't win games, uh, I don't think people are going to take solace in the, well, we just lost by a dozen points again, but we had a lot of Indiana guys sitting on the bench. I, I would really look forward to those comments in our uh, in our chat and, and on Twitter to say like, ah, you know what, everybody, it's okay. I, you know, those things aren't coming. So uh, I, I think he's doing a good job of walking the line so far and, and, and I think he'll continue to do so. You know, there are some people, though, who might question your entire premise and say, OK, but at a school like Indiana, you're not going to win Big Ten championships and compete if you're not getting the best players from in-state. Uh, you know, because and, and I think we all agree, like and coach, you said this, like the top players, the five stars, you've got to go after those guys and you've got to have a chance. And it is the question of those guys that are that are a little bit on the bubble. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what what he ends up doing there and what the what the philosophy is, because so far he did a great job of recruiting the state, obviously, in 2018 with the guys that we got. And 2019, we're in a really good position with a lot of highly ranked guys in the state. So 2020 will be interesting to see. I think that'll be kind of a good, a good litmus test for where things are with the program and kind of what the, you know, what the priority level is. Um, if you know, if you're going to go down and get those guys and maybe give them that extra credit because they are from in-state, um, we'll see. I mean, they're they're both really good players, so it's not like anybody would be disappointed if they came. But it'll just be interesting to see kind of what ends up happening with those guys. Something to keep an eye on. Um, I think I think if it becomes a year over year thing, then yeah, I, I think maybe there's more reason for concern. But I think it's no different than anything else. And we talked about this year's or the 2019 class being short on guards uh, and point guards in particular. You know, you're going to have some years where certain positions are light. You're going to have some years where states the the level of talent in a state just isn't what it's been in the past. And so, if this is kind of a blip on the radar there, then I don't think anybody thinks anything of it. If we have this conversation about, oh, hey, the, we're not doing well with 2021 guys and on down the line, okay, then maybe I think there's reason for concern. But but to me, this feels more like a blip just based on circumstance more than anything else. The other thing is that he's not shifting from New York, uh, then to Missouri, then to other pockets uh, of recruiting like we've done in the past. I think he's focusing on Indiana until he just sees that he has to go elsewhere. He's not choosing to go elsewhere based on connections to AAU programs. That is how you're a champion. <laughs> yeah. So, 
I think that's a different kind of feel for recruiting as well. Uh, you're listening to Assembly Call Radio. I'm Jared Morris here with the coach Brian Tonsoni and Andy Bottoms. Uh, this is from Scott. Should Indiana have considered doing one of those foreign trips to help the team gel? Uh, I've seen Duke getting some game reps in. So, and I don't know what Archie's thoughts are on this. Um, you know, I've read that maybe he's not as big on these foreign trips because it kind of wears teams out. Um, but I, I don't, someone told me that, but I haven't, you know, I don't have an article to cite for that. But it will be interesting to see moving forward what Archie decides to do because Indiana's last foreign trip was in 2014 to Canada. You're allowed to go one every four years. So Indiana's now in that window where they could go. Andy, are you a proponent of, of these trips? Do you think it's good for bonding and good to get the guys together? Or do you kind of buy into the notion that it also could kind of wear you out doing that much before the season starts? Uh, I think it, it depends upon the level of competition that you can really play. I, I think from a bonding standpoint, there's a lot of things that you can do on campus and certainly what I use shown on social media, they've, they've done some of that. I think an opportunity like what I believe it was before last season that Purdue got to do where they re represented the U.S. and I don't know if it was the World University Games, I might be making stuff up, but whatever yeah. they did for theirs was at a level that the competition was really strong, I believe, and, and pushed them versus, you know, I don't think the level of competition for, for Duke yesterday as an example where two guys almost outscored the other team. What are you getting out of that? And, they, uh, and they're ducking Carlton too. Well, there, yeah, there is that. So, um, so I, you know, I think there's value to be had in them, but I think the value to me comes from, are you going to do anything that you can really harken back on later in the season when you get in a tough spot, when you're in a, in a difficult game in a difficult situation that you can get anything out of. And I would venture to say that at no point in the year is Duke going to say, well, we were playing North Carolina. And I remember when we beat the hell out of whatever school they played yesterday. And I really, that really helped us get through this game. Versus I think what, what Purdue would have said, and, and I heard Painter talk about it some after last year, was I do think they got a lot out of that experience and they had a veteran team um, that was able to integrate a few new pieces. So I think if done well with a good you know good competition and, and really well thought out that way, I think there can be benefit. But again, just doing it to because you can once every four years, to me, um, doesn't accomplish, doesn't inherently accomplish things that you can't accomplish on your own on campus. Coach, would you uh, would you want to take your team on a trip like this? I would consider it because anytime you can play against people that don't know what you're doing, you get a little different read. But if you're not playing the talent, I, I don't know if you get a great read out of that. That's where the Purdue situation probably was better if they're playing better competition. If, if I were going to take a trip, I'd want to play people that I could lose to because then it would up, uh, you know, the, the intensity and so forth. And, and – from a Duke perspective, when you got your whole roster that's probably not going to be back next year, you get four or five extra games to put in your offense and your defense. That might give them a little bit of a boost as as in some years where you just have to start. So I, I'm not a real big fan of those, uh, but I do see that there is some coaching benefit to seeing your guys play and get it on film because so much film uh, study is so important because playing against guys who know what you're doing is beneficial in practice. That's why you practice. But playing against other people who don't know, that really tells what your strengths and weaknesses are.
All right, Andy, we got about 30 seconds for this question from Hoosier Fanatic. I've heard Justin Smith is on the NBA radar this season. Do you think with the depth at his position, he will get enough playing time to make that jump? Last season, his minutes only made that big jump after Duran's injury. Uh, they did, but I would also I will also say Justin's minutes went up because he played better. And especially toward the end of the season, he really played better. And so I think his minutes went up as much because of that as they did just out of necessity with Duran um, getting injured. But how do you kind of project him forward, Andy, as he enters his sophomore season. I mean, you look back at the NBA draft every year and find guys who didn't play a lot that people saw something they liked athletically and from a skill set standpoint. Um, so I don't think the playing time is a hindrance. Uh, I think the playing time will help give a function to fans of how much he's improved because the more he improves, the more he's going to play. But I don't know that that has a huge, huge bearing on what he might do from an NBA perspective. Yeah, and I, and I think the opportunity should be there for him to play this year, assuming that he has improved, you know, as much as we all think that he has. So, all right, time is up. That will do it for us on this week's episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, hashtag chat mob, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording, or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We will be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. This was the most ridiculous ordeal of my life. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.